Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today is a quadriplegic with muscular dystrophy who was sentenced to 15 years in a maximum security prison for a low-level drug offense. He suffered years of abuse and exploitation from the penal system and was eventually granted clemency by Governor Pataki after serving 10 years of his sentence. Since his release, he has dedicated his life to creating positive changes in community disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. His story was featured in the PBS documentary, The African-Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Now focused on treating a myriad of medical ailments, he's teamed up with freshly baked founders, Jenny Roseman and Philip Smith, to launch his Ironsides brand of cannabis products in Massachusetts. Terrence Stevens, Philip Smith, thanks so much, guys, for being with me today. And let's be blunt with Montel. Thank you for having us, Montel. Very excited. Pleasure to meet you. Phil, good to see you again, sir. Thank you, Monto. Always good to be with you, brother. For honest disclosure, I want to make sure people understand that I partnered up with uh, Freshly Bake also in Massachusetts, and they are who are manufacturing and carrying my line of cannabis products in the Massachusetts area. So thanks so much, sir, for all the hard work that you guys have been doing for that and all the hard work that you continue to do. Um, Terrence, let's start with you for a second, sir. Let's take us back for a second. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your story from the beginning, okay? Yeah, sure. I was arrested for uh, traveling with someone that possessed uh, some narcotics inside the uh, luggage bag, along with the identification inside the bag. Uh, I ended up being convicted uh, for the low-level nonviolent drug offense, which was the Rockefeller drug laws. It was an A1 uh, felony conviction, and uh, I was sentenced to 15 years of life, uh, virtually paralyzed from the neck down and uh, suffering from muscular dystrophy. So, um, uh, wait, 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 let's back up for a second. You said the, the substance was found in the other person's bag with their ID in the bag and you still bore the brunt of such a, a conviction? Yes, yes. My case was crazy. I don't know how I was convicted under the circumstances of my case. And that's why we put forward such a, a fierce fight to repeal these laws because the Rockefeller drug laws basically handcuffed the prosecutors and uh, I'm sorry, handcuff the judges and it puts the um, the power in the hand of the prosecutors and uh, the judge has no new discretion to perhaps sentence a person in accordance with the role they played in the event they were guilty. Uh, all power is taken away from the judges and the prosecutors um, have the power and that's how it ended up. Uh, receiving a 15-year life sentence. Which is absolutely, I mean, crazy. In a maximum security prison? Yes, Martel. It was a nightmare. Um, I was a total care patient. I had to be fed. I had to be uh, bathed, uh, assisted with wheelchair movement. The bathroom doorways inside the prison facility was not ADA compatible. So on occasions, we would have to urinate, defecate on ourselves because we couldn't fit through the bathroom doorways of, of many of the bathrooms. Uh, the water fountains was inaccessible. Uh, the prison yards was broken with concrete. And more importantly, Montel, the medical care was substandard and in inadequate. It took them over nine years before they finally 
taking me out to be treated by a muscular dystrophy doctor. So for nine years, I was being treated by prison physicians that knew nothing about muscular dystrophy at all. Well, and I just, I'm so sorry. And I don't mean to laugh, but, and I'm not laughing. I, I, I'm, you know, I think nervously chuckling in the sense that how dare they put you in a maximum security fucking prison? Excuse my mouth. But I mean, I, I, something's not right here. I mean, I, we know it's not right, but something just boggles the brain in trying to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nightmare, Montel. And, uh, you know, the medical care, uh, was substandard and inadequate, caused my spine to kind of bend to the left. Uh, where I generated like a collapsed wall. So, um, you know, it just was a, it was, it was a nightmare. And, you know, I, I guess during that period of time is, it, it's just exacerbated. I, I can't imagine one second of this being normal in a sense, normal being in a prison. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about you know your day to day? I mean, it could have been, I, I, when that when that judge put that gavel down and said, fifteen years. What does your brain? What went through your brain? I, I was devastated, Montel. You know, um, at at the time uh, during my incarceration, I was actually placed in solitary confinement for forty days. Uh, they released me one hour a day for forty days for being physically unable to physically pull my pants down on the strip search procedure. So I was what, on what, a that, that, stop. Yeah, I was telling, hot nightmares, Montel. I was on a family visit and one of the um you know one of the more harassing prison guards was like, oh Stevens, you know, you need to pull your pants down because we gotta strip search you. And I was like, well sir, I'm unable to physically pull. Oh, there's other guys in a wheelchair. Some of y'all lift weights and don't feed me the bull crap, Stephen. You could pull your pants down. And I'm telling him I couldn't pull my pants down. So, you know, we got into a little dispute about that. And he ended up taking me up to the pharmacy. I'm sorry, not the pharmacy. Uh, what do you call it? The uh, the hospital part, uh, the infirmary. Took mm -hmm. me up to the infirmary. And... Um, they called some additional aides and they called the sergeant. They harassed me for about an hour and he ended up having uh, one of the prison aides uh, lift me up out my chair while another aide pulled my pants down and he's looking at my, you know, and I mean, I just felt so violated, my tell. And then on top of that, when they released me, I go back to my cell and they give me a misbehavior a ticket saying that I'm I'm keep like I have to go to solitary confinement for 40 days for failing to obey a direct order to pull my pants down. I mean it's, excuse it's, me did you did you have would you have a public defender or did you have a lawyer at the time? Well at the time I had a lawyer but when you represent it once you get convicted and you're in prison um, you have these like inmate grievance committees and um, just so happened um, one of the New York Times reporters heard about my case and came up to visit me. He ended up contacting Albany and they verified that I'm the only inmate in the facility who's medically, physically unable to pull my pants down. But that didn't take place into weeks and weeks of me um, being subjected to solitary confinement. I mean, it, it was a it was a nightmare inside that place, Mike. 
I, I sure hope that you were you have been able to sue them or something a bit get some sort of restitution out of this or no. No, I receive um, executive clemency, and unfortunately, it's not like a exoneration conviction. Executive clemency is when you serve half of your time, and then the governor ends up for good behavior, you know, um, um, letting you out um, as 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 a, as a pardon for Christmas. But there's no compensation. There's no monetary uh, value involved with clemency, executive clemency. So no, I and receive zero compensation. And I, you just, I know your story has been been chronicled in specials, but has anybody dug deep into what you had to live through while you were in that prison, you know, and made note of the fact that this is just absolutely preposterous? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had people, you know, come up and interview me, but, you know, it's, it's once you get convicted, it's kind of hard, um, you know, getting them to admit that they made a mistake or, uh, getting you released. So, you know, I ended up joining, you know, uh, being involved with a very special movement when I came on the Rockefeller drug law movement. And I was somewhat of a poster child then. And, you know, we went around advocating about these laws. And, you know, we was at the front line of the battlefields advocating for the Rockefeller laws way before uh, the legalization of cannabis, you know, came. And, and that was one of the fights that made it possible today for cannabis to be legalized, you know, because we was on the battlegrounds for decades, you know, trying to repeal these these nonviolent drug offenses. And Phil, how did you meet Terrence? How did the two of you guys connect? Yeah, Montel, I was actually um, one of our dispensary partners, and I met a gentleman named Peter Greer that was um, very much involved in Terrence's fight against the Rockefeller drug laws. And he told me Terrence's story, and it blew me away. It blew me away immediately. I, I couldn't believe it. And then once I, you know, met Terrence and then I heard, you know, firsthand on what he's been through, you know, I was I was arrested for cannabis, you know, right after high school. You know, I was one in, you know, that one in four statistic. You know, I was the only uh you know person of color in that vehicle and I got arrested. Um I, it could have went very differently for me um than it did. And to hear about what Terrence went through just blew my mind. And you know, like he said, um you know, since he's been out, he's only been helping people. And that's the thing with Terrence Stevens. He's only been helping people since he got out. He didn't have animosity. He wasn't, you know, trying to go after folks. He was like, you know, how can I help others who have been in this position? So, you know, in cannabis, you know, federal legalization has been, um, you know, the promise of federal legalization has, has, has had a, a few different avenues. And one of them was, you know, helping folks that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And, you know, once I heard Terrence's story, it was a no-brainer. And that's how we got here. Crazy. And now the two of you have partnered up. You, you're uh, creating or actually producing a brand for Terrence, correct? Yeah. So we helped Terrence um, develop his, his Ironsides brand, which we're very um, proud of. Um, it's something that all of the cannabis companies should be trying to do, is work with folks like Terrence Stevens to help them into the industry, because that's a promise. But Terrence um, has an amazing brand, Ironside's brand. He has an amazing product. Uh, we, you know, we bombarded him with all types of gummies and edibles to, uh, to get to a point, right, T? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it was crazy, man, testing all the different edibles. And I'm not a heavy, heavy marijuana user, you know. But um, when I got home from release, I kind of got inspired, Mattel, by you because I seen some interviews on the internet and whatnot and how 
you was leading the charge with, you know, um, having the cannabis treat uh, your multiple sclerosis and how helpful that was. And I was just hoping and say, I wonder, always inspired me to want to get involved and see if the cannabis plant can help me with my muscular dystrophy and the pain and symptoms and anxiety and different things that I'm going through. And um, it ended up working, you know, Phil, we put together a, a wonderful uh, a, a brand and, and, and formula uh, for, for starting out that kind of kept me, uh, it kind of avoided any type of mood swings that um, I can have, you know, and the story, the story was 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 crazy initially because a gentleman by the name of Peter was the former chairman of a lot of um, uh, philanthropic work that I've been doing in the community for over 20 years. Uh, Mr. Greer, he basically you know, we've been talking about this cannabis thing and get me involved with this for quite some time. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm here in my tell is up in Massachusetts. He said, oh, get out of here. I said, no, I'm serious. So he, um, we, I think we had his wife, Gussie. She looked up, did some interviews, I mean, some research on, on you. And we found out that you was going to be at a facility up in Massachusetts. And so um, Peter goes up there and you're so busy, he can't get nowhere near you. You're talking and, you know, you, you're talking about the product and, you know, what the plant does and how it heals. And he ends up going to a food truck and um, he meets a guy named Phil from Freshly Baked. So he thought Phil was trying to sell him a plate of food or something, you know? So he was like, I said, no, bro, we trying to get in touch with Martel and see if we can get some support. And you you met Phil? He said, yeah, I met a guy named Phil. And man, it turned out he pitched the story to Phil. Phil said, listen, I got him, you know? And I, I just want to, you know, I, 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 I'm forever in depth to Phil. You know, we just starting out. Um, this is a brand new brand and we really looking to have a use and back into the community but you know i takes my hat off the field and the freshly baked team because you know it, it's very challenging montel um for social equity individuals to 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 to, to have a fair shake you know in in this in this industry here and it's like you know you go through so much to, to bust your behind to get a social equity license and it's like once you get the license you're somewhat on your own and in spite of all the challenges um that you're going through and the struggles that you know you're going through for a brother to reach in and help another brother launch his brand i mean phil is american hero him Jenny, the whole freshly baked team, they are American heroes because not I, I never heard of a social equity brand, um, you know, and the challenges that they're going through and reaching back out and partnering and launching, you know, brands and whatnot. So my hat goes off the field wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I, I would echo that without a doubt. Um, truly, you know, Phil, here we are, you know, touting you, uh, giving you accolades, but the truth of the matter is there are a few people, I've been all over this business for now close to 22 years, and I don't think that there are that many of you out there uh, who actually walk the walk and um, not just talk the talk. So um, hats off to you, and I think everybody out there who's tuning in right now should you know, very clearly understand. Why don't you give them some, some information about what Freshly Bank does, my man, what you've been doing, how long you guys been in business? Yeah, sure. So we started in 2018. You know, Jenny and I were, you know, basically looking for a way to sleep at night. Um, and we didn't want to be smoking at night. So we started looking into edibles. And that's how we got into the edibles game and got into the, the cannabis industry. 
Um, to Terrence's point, and you know, he's heard a lot from me and you too, Montel. You know, equity just the promise of equity just isn't there in the industry. It's not. It's nowhere in the industry. Um, it's been very hard to operate um, with essentially no money and no capital to get where we are today. And, and what we what we should do is explain something to people. I mean, you know, here we have an industry that for since 1937 was made illegal, and then um, really since 37 and, and until recently, you know, um, the numbers are so desperate, it's ridiculous. I mean, African-American people make up less than 13% of this population, yet we have been approximately 70% of those incarcerated for, 65 to 70% of those incarcerated for some sort of cannabis violation, and most of them low level. Um, we have an industry right now that is is literally last. I think this last month just cleared for this last year thirty billion dollars in legal sales. Thirty billion dollars. There is more cannabis sold in America today legally than chocolate. And I'm not talking about chocolate cannabis. I'm talking about chocolate bars, Hershey, Milky Way, all that kind of stuff. There's more cannabis sold in America than milk. If you look at the amount of milk sold in America in every grocery store across the country, how many kids eating cereal, how many people drinking milk, there's more cannabis, there's more, I think, $18 billion in total milk sales in the last year, $23 billion in total uh, sales of energy drinks. We know for a fact that this year, cannabis just now surpassed cigarette smoking. There are more people smoking and utilizing cannabis legally in America today than are smoking cigarettes. And when we talk about the legal market, we're only talking, we're talking about 30 billion, but we also know that the illegal, black and I hate using that term, the, the, the illegal market, the gray market, there are still, depending on who you listen to, there was probably 50 to $60 billion in illegal sales last year. $90 billion, making it one of the biggest, most lucrative crops in America today. And then when we look at the fact that right now in the legal markets across the country, you know, less than 5% of that is represented by people of color. You know, it's, a, it's a shame, Montel, and, and it's only getting worse. It's not getting better. And, you know, one of the things that Jenny and I promised ourselves is that we got into this industry that we would do our best to reach back and help folks come up. And we have, you know, with Terrence. And other small brands that we launched. Myself. Yep. Um, so it's been very important to us, but the support that we've gotten in the industry has been lacking. You know, we've gotten a lot of uh, lip service when we were getting in here that folks had said they wanted to work with us, that said they wanted to work with small companies, black-owned companies, female-owned companies, veteran-owned companies. The problem is when you get there, you know, you're like a unicorn. So when you actually get to the door with your license, you know, they're, they're shocked that you're there. And it's like, wow, you know, we've said that we, we're going to help you, but now we actually have to. And that, hasn't been, and that hasn't been the case. You know, I've gotten stuff from dispensaries where, you know, when we first launched, it was us like grinding, grinding, and, and, and granted, we still grind, but we have, you know, we have folks now. But, you know, those, those conversations with dispensaries where I call and I say, you know, would you like to support a, a black-owned business? I don't care about that. Would you like to support a female business? I got one of those. How about a veteran? Hey, okay, maybe. Like, those are the types of stuff that we get when we contact dispensaries. Now, we have some dispensaries that have been amazing partners. but the majority of them are in this to make money. And I get it, capitalism, we're all trying to make money, but this industry was based off the backs of black and brown folks that were just like Terrence, just like myself, who were affected by these drug laws, 
and we're not making the money that we should be. We're not getting the support that we should be. Um, so we still have a long way to go, um, especially in Massachusetts. You know, there's very, you know, few of us that are black owned businesses and, and black run businesses. Um, there's a lot more that needs to be done, especially to supply a diversity. If you go to look at some of these shows and, and brands that are on some of these adventure shows, you'd be very hard pressed to find minorities on those shows. Now in Massachusetts, we only have about 30 companies that are licensed social equity, you know, out of, I think, I mean, it's getting up there now, maybe over a thousand now that are licensed, not operational, but um, it's still very much lacking. Um, capital is tough for everyone, especially for black and brown folks. So for us, helping someone like Terrence to get into the industry, that's what we all should be doing, supporting folks like Terrence. We should be supporting companies like Freshly Baked, companies that actually have missions and don't just say they have a mission. They actually are doing things like Freshly Baked is doing, like Terrence has been doing for years. So um, right now, we're super excited for T. He has a great product. Uh, we go out and we get live resin um, for Terrence's products, Indica-based. Um, Terrence, again, formulated this himself, trying different products. He wanted to see what would work for himself. Uh, we also put 2.5 milligrams of CBN into his gummy that seemed to give him some pain relief um, and that indica feeling so he can, you know, be relaxed, um, also potentially sleep at night. So we've been very proud of what we've been doing um, for Terrence. And there's no reasons why big corporations can't be doing the same thing for Terrence and any other folks that have been um, disproportionately impacted by the industry. Um, they're not doing it because they're only focused on money at the end of the day. They actually don't care. That's right. And the brand, the brand again, one more time, is called Iron Sides. It is an edible gummy. And is there any other? Is there is there future ideas for some other delivery systems, or are you going to stay down the edible road? Uh, we're going to try to stay in the health and wellness uh, arena. Uh, you know, with respect to healing and healing individuals. But I wanted to piggyback off some of the things that you say. You know, I began in the marketplace with this drug law reform thing for over twenty years, so I've seen what's what and who's who in the space of drug reform. And I see the suffering from folks being impacted by the justice system. And yet, like you guys say, at the top of the cannabis industry, since the big corporations was making millions and millions of dollars and they reaping the benefits. And the sad part about it is that their skin does not look like ours. So, you know, in terms of this booming so-called cannabis system, it's really broken right now, my talent. It's fatally defective. And when you talk about paying it forward, how do we balance out a system that's now legalized, but yet so many folks have suffering? Uh, there are punishment. people still being arrested today. It is sad. Cannabis events. It is sad. It is sad. And one of and the things- mostly black and brown. Yes. Yes, Montel. And with respect to the product, you know, our mission is to first always put out a quality product that can really help people heal. That's one of our first primary, uh, you know, uh, responsibilities. And 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 the, and the cannabis industry, you know, it's 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 lacking resources, you know. Just start now, you know, we still lack resources on how to exactly dial in and, and find the right fit for muscular dystrophy. There's so much more research that has to be done, but we came a long way and the plan is, is really helping. But equally important, Ironside, you know, I named the brand off of the TV show uh, by Perry Mason. Uh, the guy used to roll around in the wheelchair doing investigative work, helping the community and whatnot. So the mission is also to help people understand, you know, 
even the benefits of cannabis. Um, because when I started, I had no, no, no idea how much the plant can help the body. You know, I didn't know if it was some kind of drug. Most people think, you know, it's going to ruin your organs. It's like alcohol or, you know, a lot of people just don't know. They they miseducated about the plant. And the fact of the matter is that it can be used to treat millions of people uh, with medical ailment, ailments and for, for wealth, for, for, for wealth, wellness uh, reasons. And so um, I'm excited, man. I'm really excited to be involved with this. And, you know, we really want to utilize the brand to provide healing uh, for the community and and really find a unique way uh, to support people that have been left behind. You know, that's one of the main things that we want to do. You know, we can't save everybody, but Ironside brand and the Ironside team, we would like to lighten the load for folks who deserve a chance, but that has been left behind in this industry. And Phil, like what are some of the ways that people could actually help out when it comes to supporting social equity brands? Sure. I think the most important thing, honestly, Montel in the industry is to take a look at where you're buying your cannabis from. What is their mission? Who are they carrying? If you look on the menu and you don't see one brand, one minority brand, then you know immediately there's a problem. So looking for those type of brands like Ironsides, like Freshly Baked, talking to the dispensaries and asking them, hey, why aren't you carrying these brands? What is your mission? You know, being a conscious consumer is super important. Because at the end of the day, even if we have amazing products, and Freshly Baked last year, we, we, we did amazing in the state of Massachusetts last year. Um, the Q1 was a little different. We're starting to trend back up. But at the end of the day, um, regardless of what the product is, and you know, I, and I hear people online, well, the cream rise to the top, and the products will speak to themselves. Yes, in a perfect world, just like in a perfect world, Terrence Stevens wouldn't have been in prison for 15 years. In a perfect world, you're right, that is the case, but it's not. This industry is driven by money. And when a company comes in and they have, you know, you know, there are companies here in Massachusetts that are spending upwards to a million dollars a month on marketing. You know, at the height of Freshly Baked, we had a $5,000 budget on marketing. Okay, I can't go out and buy 3,000 t-shirts and hats and 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 jackets and sweaters and start handing them out to all these butt tenders so they support us. The directives need to come from the owners. Just like at Freshly Baked, we have a directive at the top from Jenny and I to support small businesses. So when you go into a dispensary and they're not carrying those types of brands, it's because at the top, there is no directive going down to say, hey, we want to be supporting some of these small companies. So at the end of the day, money rules. It's not always about the, the product and the quality of the product. Sometimes it's just about some of these larger operators coming in and offering dispensaries deals that they can't give up, like basically free product to gain market share. Um, that's how we're all getting pushed out, and that's how we're going to keep getting pushed out unless something happens. And you know, and you're 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 right. I mean, the big the big guys are coming in with big guns. They they understand how they can work around some of the marketing issues that the state laws, you know, put in place. Just like you just said, giving out swag to the bud tenders and giving them special, you know, uh, days here and there and doing things for them, you know, it makes it difficult for the the upstarts to literally even compete. Right. And you know what? When you only have a handful of minority-owned brands, it is not hard to seek them out to get them on your shelves because we're all looking for the, for the shelf space anyways, but it's not like there are, you know, hundreds of minority companies coming to dispensaries to ask to, to carry their brands. There are barely any of us. You know, in Massachusetts, um, the first black cultivator that was licensed is now out of business. And that is a travesty. And no one's talking about it. 
And I know these folks from the industry, regardless of what was happening behind the scenes, if that company was on every shelf like they should have been, if you are the only black cultivator in an industry, you better be on every damn shelf. Companies should be reaching out to you to put you on the shelf and you're growing fire. There's no excuse for it. And that's what's been happening here in Massachusetts. And you're seeing that in other parts of the country. When I open up magazines and I'm looking at who's on the cover or who's inside of it, first of all, it takes money to get into those magazines. Those magazines should be looking for minorities to put in there as well. But when you look at those, you're seeing that who's benefiting. It's not. Why don't we have, why aren't any of the top brands in this country minority owned? And don't tell me that there aren't any companies that aren't doing well that shouldn't be on that list. They should be. You know, Freshly Baked was the number one independent manufacturer, gummy manufacturer in Massachusetts last year for BDSA. That's a lot different this year as the bigger companies have come in with a lot more money to gain that market share. But on the national level, we have minorities that we kind of hold up, but they're not leaders in the industry. They should be, but they're not. They're just like pieces that we can kind of hold up to be like, hey, see that this works. But the fight doesn't start until you actually get the licensing. You know, in Massachusetts, I talk about this a lot. To get the license, that's just the that's just the march to the battlefield. That's all that is. Once you get the license and now you're an operator, there is no more support. Nobody cares once you get the license. You're here, it's like, well, now you got your shot, get in there. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Especially when you have folks that are in this industry with millions of dollars that would have been calling me a drug dealer four years ago. And I've had yeah, the same people, the same people who are selling product right now would be calling yes, you a drug dealer. Yes, the same Absolutely. people that are that are making millions of dollars off cannabis five years ago would have just called me a drug dealer. And anyone else who was a, a brown skin that was in, in the industry. And that's what we have right now. We're glorifying people that have no business being glorified in the industry. We should be raising up folks that have been disproportionately impacted like the promise of the industry has been. And when you see federal legalization come down the line, all these lobbyists, that's what they're doing right now. They're saying, we're going to help people. We're going to help these brands. We're gonna, this is what we're going to do. We're going to donate here. We're going to donate there. But you know what? The easiest way to help minorities in the cannabis industry is to put their products on your shelves. And don't tell me you can't, because you can. I'm in the industry. I get it. Now, you, now I have many excuses. You don't need all of them, but I promise you, that if you're working with me, I will find one of my SKUs that will move in your stores. And we have plenty of folks that our, our products fly. So don't give me the excuse. It's just I'm just tired of hearing all the excuses. I want to see more support and I want to see more action. Absolutely. And Terrence, you must be working on other things than just Ironsides. What else are you working on, Loretta? Yes, right now we just putting the main focus on on Ironside and really trying to find a way to uh, really give back to the community and really uh, see to it that individuals like Phil uh, in the social equity arena, uh, you know, get a better get a better fair chance of of succeeding at what they do. And so, you know, we look at Ironsides as a brand who our stakeholders are really the people in the community and the people that we're willing to help, you know? And so that's basically what we, uh, what we focus in on. We actually probably going to maybe do some patches or some other, some other products on the line to really, to really get it going. But the main thing is staying true to the brand and, and, and helping the individuals that's been left behind. Martel, I just wanted to add to that really quick, you know, like in Massachusetts, we have positive impact plans where a company is supposed to be supporting you know, some type of initiative in the community. They have guidelines around it. It's supposed to actually be folks more who are disproportionately impacted. But, you know, I get it. Sometimes there are, you know, 
sometimes there are other missions that are important too. I think that in the industry, when it comes to supporting a brand, Terrence and myself, we are a positive impact plan. That's who we are. So if you're a dispensary and you're supporting us by putting our products on your shelves, you are supporting folks that have disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Like Terrence shouldn't have to go out and start, you know, finding groups. He is the group. Terrence is the group that should be getting the help. He was in prison for nine years. He is the one. You know, I was arrested for cannabis. I just barely got into the Marine Corps. I wanted to be law enforcement when I got out. It didn't quite work out. And now here I am now. So when you're supporting companies like us, that's what you're doing. You're supporting folks that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what you should be doing. What do you th- what do you see the future holding, um, Phil? I mean, what uh, uh, crystal ball me? What what about the next couple of months? We've spoken many times, but what do, what do you think is going to happen? Because you know, as I look at, you know, it's it's so funny. Three months ago, just three months ago, I'm just talking about you know back in you know February, you know uh, uh, end of January, you know it, it looked like the industry was having some difficulty, and then all of a sudden the numbers come out. That difficult, and the industry is having difficulty because all the states, a lot of people don't understand, is that as states come on board, these states are crazy in the way that they tax the legal product, the way that they, the, the hoops that they force the producers to have to jump through to be able to get those products to the shelf. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, it, it was going to actually help continue to constrict the industry. But instead of constricting, the industry is is blossoming. I mean, come on, man. $30 billion last year was $25 billion. That's another $5 billion in less than a year. This is a huge, just an immensely successful industry. Um, what do you see happening in the next couple of years? Is it just going to be money going into the pockets of just a few? Or are we going to start to see this industry expand the way it should? Well, I think if we don't see some, uh, you know, drastic changes from each state and the bodies that control, who well, they all have very broad discretion. As you can see in, in New Jersey, I think they, they literally told Kiralee they were out on a license and they were able to give it back to them. These bodies have, have broad discretion on what they can do. If they don't start putting in more social equity initiatives like inventory requirements, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm looking to fight for here. For black and brown owned companies, social equity owned companies, you know, putting in requirements 10%, 10% of a dispensary's inventory going towards um, equity companies, which is nothing. You're going to see more equity companies like that first black cultivator here in Massachusetts go out of business. I mean, it's been very tough for Freshly Big. And it has not been easy. And when you're in other states and, you know, things that I hear when someone's in California and they look at a menu and they get over here and they're like, oh, it's the same menu. That's a problem. That means the top brands, those top, excuse me, they're not top brands because they're not. Those top um, funded companies or multi-state operators, yeah, they are taking over menus all over the place because these dispensaries see a product in California, they come back and they want to put it on their menu here instead of looking at the local companies and supporting those local folks. So if we don't see a change here coming up, we're not going to have anyone in the industry that's black and brown at, at, at some point. Um, the, the opportunity is there. We can start making a change now, but if we don't do that, we're not going to see any of the small local operators, social equity operators in the industry anymore. It's going to be like every other industry where it's only the big boys that are in their plan. Absolutely. And Terrence, how about you? I mean, dude, I know you're going to be, uh, of course, you just said you're, you're pushing your brand forward, but are you still speaking out now about the injustices inside the penal system? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're still speaking out about, you know, the injustices of, of incarceration and, and, and the, the felt war on drugs. And um, with respect to the future, you know, we have a few things on the horizon uh, from a disabled perspective. Uh, we're trying to launch of our Ironside Adaptive brand where we're trying to design some clothing that just make you know, a little bit more easy for people with disabilities to get dressed. You know, there's all type of uh, different challenges that we go through. And we also are looking uh, to do a social documentary on the cannabis industry and how INSI will be trying to lead this charge um, to, 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 to promote social equity and really give back to the communities where most needed. You know, it could be opening the kitchen so that people in the neighborhood can, can eat and, and, and just doing things that, you know, just taking a real grassroots perspective from a cannabis uh, point of view and, and, and really, really giving back uh, to the community. So I'm, I'm very excited for what the future holds and um, I look forward to, to moving forward, Montel. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, Phil, I'll go back to you one more time and just ask you, you know, it's like, do you have any, any, are you anticipating or are you looking, you know, uh, favorably at this 2024? I mean, you know that both sides, whether they be Republican or Democrat, they're all going to talk this trash about, you know, moving the, the, the needle and the pendulum in the right direction. Yet we may end up with the same. Thing that we just had happen with this last administration where they talked all kinds of trash while they were running for office and they've gotten there and ain't done a damn thing. Yeah, we talked about this before. And I, you know what? I am not optimistic at all. I'm not optimistic at all on any type of federal legalization. I really, at this point, don't know what's going on. I think I might have read an article the other day where it might only be like literally a handful of states left that don't have some type of legalization, whether it be medical um, or rec. And on any other issue, there wouldn't be a problem here. But I think at the end of the day, I think it all stems off of, you know, how can we control an industry that is saying that we need to uplift equity applicants, folks that have been disproportionately impacted. And I think at the top, these brands that have all the money and control, they don't actually want to do it. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I can't say on a local level, though. Um, I am optimistic just because we're, we're putting in the work. And I think we're finding more people like Terrence. Um, supporting folks like Terrence that always makes us feel good and folks, you know, more folks need to speak out and Terrence has a big voice and the more folks like Terrence and myself and you Montel, which you've always spoken out about equity, the more folks that can speak out about it, you know, we can make some changes, but we have a long way to go. We really do. We still have a long way to go. Definitely have a long way to go. Well, you know, you always have a home here. You know that, of course, Phil, but um, Terrence, you always have a home here. You will come back and chat a little bit. Tell us what's going on. Let us know what you're up to. But we'd love to have you back. Um, anything else either one of you would like that? Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Montel, we, we're really trying to find a way to hold these politicians accountable. You know, they really need to um, to do more than lip service. You know, there's a lot of suffering that's going on from people that has been disproportionately impacted. And we, we have to find a way to break this cycle. You know, um, I've been very uh, appreciative. We have some uh, good, you know, team players uh, on our side. I'm trying to start like an Ironside Warrior type of uh, committee, the Ironside Warriors, you know, and people that's really banging the pavement to, to, to make change, you know, and uh, hopefully, you know, this can be the beginning of something that can grow and, and, and have a significant impact uh, in the communities of color. So how about you, Phil? Anything else you want to add? 
I think we've kind of hit on it, Montel. I think for me right now, it's it's the you know the story of Ironsides. You know, this is what the industry should be about. You know, folks should be supporting people like Terrence Stevens in the industry. That should those these should be the faces of the industry. And right now, we're not seeing that. Um, honestly, just personally, I just don't think enough people actually give a damn. I don't think they care, and that's what it comes down to, which is sad um, because. You know, when you hear stories like Terrence's, I don't know how you can't care, but at the end of the day, I just don't think they care. And I just want to see more direction from the top of these large corporations coming down the pike saying, hey, we need to be supporting minority-owned companies, social equity-owned companies, female brands, um, veteran-owned companies. We need to see more of that. If we don't see it, it's not going to happen. So I'm going to keep speaking out about it. I'm going to keep being honest about the industry. I know everyone says they're doing well, but I know damn well 95% of percent of the companies, whether they're large or small, aren't doing well. We get taxed the hell out of 280E. Um, you've seen articles where there's like more than a half a billion dollars owed in taxes right now. If folks are doing well, they'd be paying their taxes. Freshly Baked was up on all of our taxes last year. And we're about to be up on all of our taxes again this year. Um, so we're we're fighting. We're in the fight. Um, we're doing our best, but the industry has, has a long way to go. And if the larger companies that you're seeing are closing down, shutting down operations in states, shutting down cultivation facilities. That only trickles down to the smaller guys. So we need even more support as we see the industry start to um, collapse in on itself, honestly, because we're going to be the first ones to go. Stuff rolls downhill. When a large company isn't doing well, they come out, they start putting more money into marketing. They start giving away more product for prices that I just can't compete with. Um, they start giving better terms, right? They start raising more money. You know, the things that we can't do as a small company so until we start to get those directives from large companies that actually want to support us and these bodies in these states who are actually looking at dispensaries menus and not just like weird, you know, data that they throw out there that might look good. But, in, in, you know, if you actually look at menus, who is actually getting supported? I'm at the point where to me it's like, does it matter if you actually get a license when you're going to get crushed once you get in here? Massachusetts, I was just. Um, you know, uh, from, from the state, I was put on the Cannabis Social Equity Advisory Board. We have $30, $40 million in that fund that five of us are going to be working with the state to kind of give the folks that are trying to get into the industry, equity companies which, who are getting in, who are already in. But how can we in good conscience give money to folks when they get into the industry that we know they're going to get crushed because they're not going to get the support from the dispensaries? So, you know, we, ju we just got to keep fighting. Got to keep fighting. Well, get out your digits if people want to be able to help or reach out to you. How will they go, Phil? Yeah, they can go to uh, FreshlyBakedCompany.com, and you can reach out to us right through the website. Um, you know, you can check out Freshly Baked Company on all social media platforms. Um, please, if you if you um, are looking to support equity at all, if you're looking to support a small company, you know, please support Freshly Baked, support Ironsides, any other small companies you can find out they support. When I go to a dispensary, I say, who do you have here that's a small cultivator? Who do you have here that's a small local company? You know, look for those companies and support them because we need it. So, in terms of people want to reach out to you, where would they go? Sure, you can reach out to us at Ironside, uh, spelled I R O N S Y D Z underscore wellness on Instagram and Ironside, I R O N S Y D Z dot com to hear more about the Terrence Stevens Ironside story. And, and again, if they wanted to get more about your story, is anybody working on a documentary or anything like that about you? Yes, we working. We working putting that together now. 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the company, but it's a national company. And uh, we look forward to um, putting something very impactful by that will include a number of individuals as well as how I'm entreeing the Ironside brand to make a, a difference in, in the communities of color. Wow, that's right. So we'll keep us posted on that, my friend. Anything we can do to help you out and try to get the word out. To, and I'm hoping that all of our viewers out there will, will pick up the phone and call somebody they know that can help you with that. We'd love to help you, okay? So, you know, keep in touch. And I want you guys to be well, do well. And thank you for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Yes, thank you, Montel. You've been a huge inspiration for me. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, sir. And for all of you out there, make sure you keep tuning in. Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.